Liverpool 3 0. Corner taken quickly, Origi! Hello and welcome to the Divock Origi Appreciation Society, otherwise known as the Anfield Central Podcast. My name is Luke, and as always, I'm joined by James. How are you doing, mate? Good weekend? Yeah, not too bad. Um, two wins over your two rivals in the space of a week. It's it's always good to go into work uh, with a smile on your face on a Monday. Absolutely. And we spoke last week, obviously, a lot about Liverpool's wins over Man City and Man United. And to top off a great uh, seven days or so, a 2-0 win in the Merseyside derby for Liverpool as well, which returns us to just one point behind Manchester City in the Premier League. It was a... Um, Interesting game, wasn't it, at times, James, yesterday? It was first half, we were pretty frustrated probably at halftime given the way that, uh, you know, Everton approached the game and we weren't getting a great deal of joy in an attacking sense, but kept plugging away and got there in the end. Yeah, I think it's a case of, listen, you go back to last year and whenever Liverpool have sort of struggled against mid-table sides and relegation threatened sides, it's sort of a blueprint for anyone to come to Anfield and basically just put 10 men behind the ball you know, with your goalkeeper as well and try and frustrate Liverpool because we're not like Manchester City where we'll just pass the ball from side to side and stretch it that way where the players we've got are more getting behind to try and stretch the defence by long balls over the top and I think obviously with Everton playing with four men just stood across their own you know, 18-yard box it's always going to make it more difficult but I think that just goes to show how far this team's come under Jurgen Klopp where, you know, three, four years ago, that would have been a game. Liverpool had drawn nil-nil or lost one-nil. Um, but obviously now they're coming away with the three points, which is huge. It was always a game where the first, if Liverpool, when, when Liverpool scored, that was it. Then the floodgates would open. Just unfortunate it came, you know, in the second half. And obviously getting that second one through, through the King himself, obviously, Puts the ease, uh, puts the nerves at ease. But um, fair play to Everton; they did exactly what they needed to do for straight. Try and get the crowd uh, frustrated as well. Try and get the tension going from the stands onto the pitch, and it almost worked for them, but just wasn't to be. Yeah, well, you, you say fair, fair play to them, and I understand why you, why you'd say that when you're in that position at the bottom of the table. You're not going to come to Anfield and play open, expansive football. That would, you know, just kind of be suicidal really but do you not think that they took it a bit far the other way in the sense that looking at the stats at the end of the game only 17% possession one shot on target you know less than 100 passes Thiago made 126 himself and you know we'll come on to some of the bigger incidents in the game in terms of the possible penalty that Everton could have could have had um, in the second half but there's the Anthony Gordon dive in the first half, Richarlison going down at every opportunity. Yeah, Richarlison faking injury basically caused a bit of a brawl because it meant Decora ended up taking out Fabinho in order to stop the game. Um, there was a moment as well when the game was stopped because Richarlison headed the ball and that was deemed as a, as a head injury. So I, I get what you're saying, but for me it was just, it got a bit, there was a bit too much of the dark arts going on, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was literally just like playing Atletico Madrid, which is obviously what we've done twice this season. I just think if if, if that's the game plan that Lampard's had, then, you know, Everton came, you know, did the best to try and come, you know, accomplish what Lampard had set them out to do. I do think, you know, in terms of Richarlison, uh, I mean, 
I'm talking to Everton fans today and working and because obviously we don't I don't watch much Everton, don't know about yourself, but they're saying that this is just stuff he does every week. The, the slightest bit of contact or very minimal contact. He's going down, he's rolling around. This isn't something he was just doing for the derby. This is what he was doing, um, you know, every week. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be happy if I was an Everton fan stood in the Anfield Road end yesterday and had paid all that money for my ticket and I stood there and watched the team play the way they played. Um, it was very dull at times for them. Like you say, Thiago had more passes. Um but, you know, a team that's fighting relegation, I didn't expect much from them anyway. And if anything, they made it more frustrating than what I expected in the first place. A lot's been made of the game yesterday. In particular, a lot's been made of the Anthony Gordon, Joel Matip penalty incident in the second half. I believe it was 0-0 at the time. So it's a massive game-changing incident if it goes the other way. What was your reading of it? <sighs> I, 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 it is a tough one. I think, obviously, the dive makes it... If he doesn't dive in, in in the first half, then I think he probably gets the penalty in the second half. I think, as a referee, as the VAR, they're looking at that second decision going, well, he's already got previous of going down too easily or going down with no contact at, at all. So I think it puts them in an even worse position. Um does he come? He comes across Matip, and Matip can't get out the way. That that's the thing is, it's not like as if Matip's come across him and he's clipped the back of him and he's fallen over. Gordon's gonna gone across the front of Matip. Matip's just running in a straight line, and then he's just gone down. Have you know? Have you seen them given? Yeah, I, I think we've seen a hell of a lot worse penalty decisions given this year um, that have gone to VAR. Um, seen decisions that have been more blatant penalties that haven't been given as well. So I don't think it's one of the worst decisions I've ever seen. I just think if Anthony Gordon doesn't dive in the first half, he probably gets it. But if you're diving, so such a poor dive as well. There was absolutely no contact and you know, Naby's nowhere near him. If he doesn't do that, I think he probably gets it. And all the Everton fans that are moaning saying, Frank Lampard, you don't get decisions at Anfield. Well, if your players don't dive in the first half, they probably do get it. I think our readings are similar. I, I, I intend to agree. I think watching it live in the heat of the moment when you're watching the game, I was absolutely thinking, no, no chance. There's not enough contact there to go down. But watching the analysis after the game and watching it a few more times, I can kind of see why they feel a little bit hard done to there. I think it, we probably maybe did get away with one a little bit. Um, but I completely agree with you. If he doesn't dive in the first half, and this isn't the first time that Anthony Gordon's been labelled as a bit of a diver. I think this has started to creep into his game a little bit the more regular game time he's getting. Obviously, he's, he's broken into the team in the last 12 months or so, hasn't he, for Everton? And um, he's, you know, they've not got much to get excited about at the moment, but he, he's probably one of the few shining lights. He caused quite a few problems down Trent's um, right-hand side yesterday for um, a couple of times. He, you know, got away from people and we had to make some last-minute tactical fouls to to stop him breaking away. So he's obviously very talented, but yeah, if that started creeping into the game, maybe that's gone against him because it's crept into the referee's mind. And, you know, like you say, if you don't do that, if you cut out the diving, then you probably get the decision. But going back to what Frank Lampard says about you never get penalties at Anfield, 
etc cetera, etc cetera. I think last time we had a derby before yesterday Everton literally did get a penalty at Anfield's <laughs> no Lampard wasn't in the dugout that day um, however you know it's just an old cliche isn't it that gets drawn out I think we could probably sit here and list quite a few decisions this season they've got we've not got in terms of penalty I can remember one against Leicester um, you know just after Christmas where Daniel Amati basically went straight through the back of Mo Salah when he's one-on-one with Kasper Schmeichel and nothing was given so I'm not sure it's an Anfield thing. I think it's just referees can be across the board pretty inconsistent, really. Yeah, we, like me and you talk about this pretty much every week on the show. Is the standard of refereeing and VAR in this country is a shambles? You, you see in penalties for hardly any contact being given, and like you said, there's been numerous examples this year for Liverpool where penalties haven't been given when they should have been. Um, but I think Lampard's pretty much forgetting that. In his prime at Chelsea, I think Chelsea were getting a few decisions, weren't they, on the way towards you know, Premier League titles and, and Champions League success, uh, etc. But I, I, I do think, it, I, I hate it being labelled that the big, the big clubs do get the big decisions um, because, as we've said, if you don't dive, you know, you do get it. Um, and I, I think over the course of a season, you know, the Everton, Everton fans can't look at that decision to say, that's what got them relegated over the course of 38 games. You know, there's been 32. I think they've got six games left. They've got a couple of games in hand. You know, they deserve to be where they are, really. They haven't, they have been nowhere near where, where they should be in terms of what that squad is. I mean, Rafa Benitez had them 15th and Lampard's got them 18th, but no one's talking about that. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, it's just one of those decisions that they haven't got. You no, know, it wasn't, you know, last season, Henderson had a last minute winner disallowed for. Offside when he was clearly onside in the derby, that was three points, you know, two points taken away from us last year. Trent slid to block a shot, and then it was uh, Calvert Lewin ran into him after he was already on the floor, and that penalty was given. So, listen, you make your own luck over the course of a season, and especially in a derby, you can't be looking at refereeing decisions to get you through a derby. You've got to try and make your own luck, really. Yeah, 100%. Just one, you know, last thing on Everton, really, for us at risk of turning into a blue podcast. But uh, do we think that their, you know, time in the Premier League is up now? Like you say, their, for what their squad is and the level of investment we've seen in the team in, in Everton over the last four or five years is pretty disgraceful, really. Like they're in the situation they are, whether that's down to the ownership or down to, you know, the players going on the pitch. Because you look at the 11 yesterday and you think, Eleven, even though it's not you know vintage a vintage Everton team that we've seen in the Premier League era, but it's probably better than than Burnley's eleven that they can field at the moment. And the squad they've got, they've got Premier, you know, got Premier League winners in that squad. They've got internationals. They've got players they paid so much money for, and they look at the minute like other than maybe Norwich and Watford, you know, the worst team in the division. So. You know, within the three worst teams in the league, which would suggest they get relegated. But do you think when it comes to the end of the season, they will actually go down? Because if that is the case, I think that's the first time in, you know, coming up to 70 years, Everton have been relegated. Um, they've kind of been top flight mainstays almost their entire history. I think something tells me they'll probably just be all right. I think the Watford away game, and they've still got to play Brentford, are the two key games. I think if, if they can get six points from them two games, then I think they'll probably stay up. Watford looked dreadful this year. And Brentford, should fancy Everton to beat Brentford at home. I just, 
living in my family, it's 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 down the middle really. It's half Everton, half Liverpool, and all the years, especially under David Moyes, all you ever heard as a Liverpool fan from them was, you know, if we get the money, watch out because we'll be breaking into the top four, and then they've got the money, and then they've spent it on just just utter dross. I think in one transfer window, they signed four number tens, no wingers, <laughs> and, and no strikers. So, I think purely on the basis of the the disregard the players have for the club and, and the shirt they're playing for and the amount of poor transfers they've made. I think they deserve to go down just on that basis. I think, if, like you said, if that starting 11 on paper, that is, you know, it wasn't long ago that Richarlison was being linked with Barcelona and Calvert-Lewin was linked with Arsenal and Pickford's England's number one. He's signing plays from Barcelona like Yerimina you know, and you've got Alan who was a brilliant center, uh, central defensive midfielder in, in Serie A. I think if you sign all them and you are where you are, then, then I think you deserve to go down because there's, there's players there in other teams like Leeds who have had a terrible injury history this season and hardly signed anyone. If they're still above you, then I think it comes down to you know, the character of the players. and That's what I mean. They, they probably deserve to go down on the basis of poor recruitment and the attitude of the players they've got. Would you miss the Merseyside derby if it was gone next year? Are you one of those Liverpool fans that... There's a few, I think, in the fan base that would... Uh, for, for the city and because the derby is always a fun occasion and because it runs like you say similar to yourself within families maybe a little bit more so than other derbies we see in the country would you be one of those who would miss it if it was gone or are you enjoying Everton's pain because I'll hold my hands up and say I really want them to get relegated personally <laughs> I mean I'll miss the six points every season <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a tough one because it is. There's two fixtures you look at when the fixture list come out. It's when do we play United and it's when do we play Everton. Um, my other half's an Evertonian, so it's it, it's interesting. You know, me and her watching that together, and she was cheering a nil-nil draw yesterday. She had a f- uh, fist <laughs> clenched, and she was saying just another forty-five of that. So it goes to show where they are. Um, I'd, I'd prefer them to stay up. I think the initial reaction of them going down, the, the jokes, the memes, the, the you know taking the piss out of your friends and family, etc. I think that'll be funny for a certain amount of time. Um, but it, I mean, if you speak to Newcastle fans or you speak to Villa fans, when at the moment Birmingham are relegated, uh, I think if you spoke to them fans, as much as it's funny you being in divisions above them or maybe two divisions above them, you'd much rather play each other two nights a season, two games a season because. You know, Anfield under the lights and Goodison under the lights for a derby day. You know, the, the nostalgia around it, the build-up around it within, you know, in the city and, and, you know, even for fans who live in different cities from Liverpool. But, you know, we've got strong fan bases there for both clubs. I think it will be missed, really. We'll see what happens towards the end of the season. Well, let's focus a bit more on, on Liverpool then. Um, and there's only one place to really start, and that's Divock Origi, isn't it? His record against Everton is absolutely ridiculous. Only Steven Gerrard has scored more goals than Divock Origi in Merseyside derbies. He's got more than Ian Rush, Kane Agrish and Roger Hunt as of that goal yesterday. And I mean, where do we start? What an absolute legend. I mean, give him his due. When he came on, he actually played really well. It's not like he just came on and got a goal. When he came on, 
it's link up play. I mean, there was that the one where he gets the ball and he turns and he pings a 25 yard pass out to the feet of Mo Salah, and you're going, Jesus, where's where's this been? <laughs> because he has just been this five, ten minutes to go. Bring him on, try and get a goal. And he might only touch the ball five times in a game, five, six times. Whereas yesterday, you know, I felt for the first time in a, in a long time, probably you know, going back to the Barcelona game um, and that title running where he scored against Newcastle as well, where I think he, he actually had a really big impact coming off the bench. Um, like you say, if, when I when I you know I saw that that statistic that we put out of he scored more goals than Ian Rush, I can't believe that because Rush well, scored you- four goals. Yeah, when you think about Ian Rush, when you associate Ian Rush with Mo, you associate him with Mo Saidari, don't you? Yeah, we did. There's, there's the four goals he scored against Everton in one game, and then you, you look at that and you think, so you're telling me he only scored another one goal in in Merseyside derbies in the in you know the football league? It's 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 crazy to think about it. But listen, he he's the man for the big occasion. He has been since he's come in, which is strange about it. And I did sort of agree with Jamie Carragher yesterday in punditry were. If we weren't playing Everton, I don't think Origi comes on the pitch. I, I do, I do think it's just when, whenever he plays against Everton, I don't know what it is, but he just seems to come alive. And you know, typical striker's goal, he's in and around the box for the second goal, and it's good link up play with Mo Salah for the for the first one to set up Andy Robertson. And you know, you can't criticize the guy. How many times you look at other clubs and you've got players coming out who aren't getting game time and are complaining and are kicking up a fuss in the media and saying agents are coming out and saying, if you don't play this player somewhere, we're going to start speaking to other clubs. And I just think he's been a model for, for you know, young lads in the academy to say, listen, you might not get 90 minutes every week. You might not even get 10 minutes every week. But that five-minute spell you can be called upon. Make sure you come ready off the bench because... I don't think there's anyone who's, who's got a cult hero status like Divock Origi for somebody who's played so little minutes. Yeah, I mean, we heard the cop singing his name before he even came on, didn't we? And obviously it's the Merseyside derby, so everyone, you know, it's just, so the fixtures kind of become associated with Divock, hasn't it, over the last three or four years in a weird way. And it's just it's just kind of really nice to see, isn't it? Because like you say, he's, we know that he's, this is probably his last season at Liverpool. This, you know, who knows? That could be his last Anfield appearance, potentially. Given you know how good our depth is and those attacking options, it's probably only on the bench because Firmino has got that foot injury at the moment uh, anyway. And I think even Klopp said in his interview after the game, yes, it's actually getting a little bit ridiculous now that he's said how many times he scores <laughs> scores against Everton. Like we know that it's kind of a funny joke and stuff. It's actually got to the point now. It's a bit it's it's a bit spooky how he seems to do it every single time. You know how the ball that. Henderson found that ball to Diaz and then it just hit the ground at the right angle that looped over to Divock's head. It was it was like fate, wasn't it? But you're right. He will be, I think he'll be missed when he goes. It looks like it's probably going to be AC Milan. Um, they've been the strongest team that I've been linked with him. But yeah, I mean, it's how do you kind of feel that place in the squad, I guess? Because of course, we've got five fantastic forwards now. Whereas we probably didn't, we have that, we've not really ever had that in, in, in previous years. But like you say, he's a guy that he doesn't really ever complain when he's not playing all the time. And when he does come on, I mean, what more can you ask for? Even this season, he's got three Premier League goals this season, which seems weird because I think he's, he's barely played 90 full minutes, like in the whole season. He got 
one off the bench against West Ham. You got that obviously the winner against Wolves off the bench at Molyneux before Christmas, and then this one in the derby again again yesterday. So he's the man for the for the big moments, isn't it? And when we started him, when there was you know when the squad was maybe a little bit thinner, and he was having to start games every now and again, I don't ever really remember him doing much when he's starting games. Not really having much of an impact and, you know, kind of being subbed after 60 minutes or so for someone else and just, you'd barely really notice him in the game. But it just seems to be, the bigger the occasion, the higher he rises. And, you know, yesterday's a great example. Obviously, the obvious one is the Barcelona and, and there's a few you can reel off off the top of your head. But it's just such a weird phenomenon. But we're, you know, in this Klopp era, I think, you know, there's a lot of a debate about what is a club legend and maybe the phrase is overused a little bit these days and he's obviously a cult hero but given that he's been part of so many massive moments that have you know led on to even bigger moments and I mean I, I even just forget that listen enough that he scored in a Champions League final <laughs> for Liverpool as well <laughs> I'm thinking of the moments he scored and I'm thinking Barcelona I'm thinking the derby against Everton where Pickford fumbled it I'm thinking yesterday I'm thinking Wolves then just remember that he actually scored in Champions League final as well. So it's absolutely mental, isn't it, what he's done for the club over the last three or four years? Yeah, it's like you said, the more you think about it, the, the more of an impact he's probably had then than when you first think. And, you know, trying to fill that void when he does leave, it's like what we've both just spoke about then, it's going to be hard because, you know, he doesn't complain. You know, he's happy enough to sit on the bench and, like I said, more often than not, not even be in the squad. He's happy to play in the cup games and then be dropped for the final uh, and the semi-final. So, you know, I, I, I do think it's very rare to find that. Is that Div Okarigi as a person or is it just, you know, the, the man management of Jurgen Klopp, as everyone says, doesn't matter how many minutes you play for him, as long as you're in that squad, you want to run through a brick wall for him. He's got that sort of personality. Um, so... Uh, it, yeah, it is going to. He is going to be a big mess, and like you say, when when he starts, you don't really seem to notice him. But I think he did an interview not so long ago, and he said, you know, somebody said to him, "What? How do you, you know, make an impact when you come off the bench?" And he says he just analyzes the game from the bench, and he can see where defenders are going and how they're reacting to the ball, and you know, it just goes to show, you know, he has got that elite striker's instinct of being in the right place at the right time. Um, Obviously, just hasn't got the chances at Liverpool. I think, you know, going back to Everton, you know, he was he was in good form for Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp when Klopp first came in. Uh, obviously, it was that horrible ankle break against uh, Funes Mori that he got sent off for. That sort of derailed his career a little bit. Uh, took him a while to come back from that and and to get back into contention for a starting eleven spot. But you know, fair play to the guy and hats off to him. Like you said, when you do play, you've got to make the most of it and you've got to take your chances. And it is a bit spooky and he is cropping up at the right places at the right time in big games. It can't be a coincidence. And I think we could potentially look at the end of the season and go, if, you know, if Liverpool do win the league this year, a last-minute winner against Wolves and an instant impact coming off the bench against Everton, it, it could be the Div Okarigi show again. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure it'd be great for AC, AC Milan as well. And, you forget he scored a penalty in the in the cup final win against uh, Chelsea as well. Um, a fantastic a couple of goals in the in that cup run contributed to that. A lovely goal against Preston in particular, I remember. So, yeah, you I mean his his impact's been fantastic over the last few years. So, wish him well, and maybe he's still got one more moment left in him. We'll see. 
Um, the other goal scorer yesterday was Andy Robertson to open the scoring. Um, we don't really seem to talk about Robbo a great deal. We swear, I remember at the start of the season, there was a little bit of murmurs, maybe Simicast could come in and take his place. I don't think we really ever seriously entertained that on this show, but there was a little bit of discontent in the fan base that maybe Robertson needed a bit of a break. He's had a lot of football over the last 12 months with club and country, but I think quite quite quietly in some ways over the last few weeks and months, he's really been showing what he what he can do, both you know going forwards and defensively as well. Yesterday, a great clearance um, to prevent almost certain goal from a, a Wobie springs to mind. And Alan Shearer has been saying today that Andy Robertson is in his mind, should be a nominee for player of the season in the Premier League, given his performances. So just a bit of time here to give Robbo a bit of praise, I think. Yeah, fully deserves it for this season. And like you said, I think, you know, playing that full season for Liverpool last year, uh, he was never present in a injury savage Liverpool team. He, he seemed to be the only person that was starting week out, really, week in, week out in that defence for Liverpool. Um, and obviously, he goes to Scotland, uh, full preparation there, the weight of a country playing, you know, they, they play at Hampton Park a few times um, in the European campaign and obviously captain in there. And then in the preseason friendly against Bilbao, you know, he gets suffers that horrible ankle injury. And I think it's just took him at the beginning of the season a, a bit of time to get back to match fitness and, and to get back to the levels he has been. Obviously, what didn't help was Simicast coming in and getting an assist straight away and hadn't conceded a goal in his first six appearances for Liverpool. And like you said, you know, his delivery was almost on par with Robertson's at the beginning of the season. It seemed to be everything that Simicast was whipping in you know, seemed to be causing problems for the opposition. So, you know, you, you could see where other people were making this argument, but, you know, at the end of the day, the chalk and cheese between the two of them, I do think Simicast is a very good left-back, um, a good understudy for Robertson. And I think, Simicast probably could play for most teams in the Premier League, but you know we've seen it consistently now since Robertson's come in from Hull that he is. I mean, everyone's going on about Cancelo this year, but I do firmly believe that the two best fullbacks in the Premier League are Robertson and, and and Trent because Trent, you know, can do whatever you know whatever he does. You know, he's brilliant going forward and he is a solid defender. But I just think Robertson is it's just a more complete, you know left back or full back in the Premier League, whatever you want to call him, because he's chipping in with goals going forward. You know, he scored against Spurs. He's now scored against um he scored yesterday. Um his, his assists are still there, not dropping. They're still at a consistent level. He's still getting um up up the pitch and he's still doing his overlapping runs and cutting the ball back. You know, he, he got a, an assist against Arsenal um away at the Emirates. So and then you look at him you know, yesterday defensively, he's always the last, you know, in and around that six-yard box to clear the ball. He's always tracking back. He just doesn't seem to stop running and he seems to be a real laugh around the dressing room as well. Um, you know, you've seen the way he looked at uh, Origi in his interview yesterday. You know, he looked, he looked a bit like a proud son looking up at his dad. <laughs> it's, you know, he's just been an unbelievable play for Liverpool. You know, fair credit to, to Michael Edwards and co for bringing him in from Hull for, for eight million. Um, you know, it's been an absolute bargain. And yeah, I mean, we even sold um, Stewart to Hull for eight million. So you know, we sort of got him on a free transfer, really. If you if you want to um, if you want to look at it that way, 
Um, but in terms of an overall fullback in the Premier League, I, I don't think you're going to get much better than Andy Robertson because even towards the end of the game yesterday, he's sprinting forward, he's sprinting back. His engine just never seems to stop. And I think that's just what you want. And I think Liverpool did well with him when he was coming back from that injury, really. They sort of managed his game time a little bit. They didn't throw him in straight away. They sort of give him 10 minutes off the bench here, then 15 minutes, and, and then got him back into the first team. And, you know, apart from maybe the sending off against Spurs away just before Christmas, I think he's had a pretty, pretty faultless season so far. Absolutely. And obviously, in a way, I guess you could say that it was the subs that changed the game yesterday. Luis Diaz and Divock Origi came on together and it changed the, the, the formation and the style slightly. It was more of a 4 2 4 with Origi and Jota playing pretty much as central strikers. It gave the guys a bit more of something to aim at of Origi. He's probably slightly more of a target man than the rest of the attacking options that we have. I mean, we spoke speak about Diaz every week, it seems like, about the impact he's made and some fantastic skill and great moments yesterday as well. Obviously, an assist to his name. But sometimes I think Klopp, when it comes to substitutions, is an area of his game that over the last few years we thought, if there is a, you know, if, you, if we've been really, really nitpicky, maybe substitutions come a bit too late or they're not, they're always sometimes they're a bit odd and they try and make sense of them and scratching their head a little bit. But, but, I think this season that he's been much better. Maybe it's because we've got a better squad, I don't know. But he's been seems to be much better at, at, at making subs earlier and at key moments in the game. And and yesterday I was just impressed about the bravery of the subs really because we when I saw it was going to be Origi and um and, and Diaz coming on, I was thinking, okay, so is it gonna be Jota and Mane coming off? But no, he took off Keita, he left on an extra attacker, which you know we could have left only having Fabinho and Thiago there. You could worry that we would be a bit exposed in the, in the midfield all of a sudden and with a system change we're very used to seeing that that kind of 4-3-3 you know almost religiously we very very rarely deviate from it so it was a, it was a brave move and it paid off yeah 100% agree with you I think in Klopp's early days you know you looked at him and he was you know waiting until maybe the 70th minute 75th minute to make his changes and sometimes like you said you were scratching your head at them was you know sometimes Milner was coming on to change a game in the 70th minute and no disrespect to Milner but you know, he's not that kind of player and I just think it comes down to what he said then the squad depth I think now he's looking at the bench thinking well I can bring Diaz on if Diaz doesn't work on I can bring Firmino on if Firmino doesn't work out I can bring Chamberlain on if Chamberlain doesn't work out I can bring Naby on it, I just think that's where Liverpool are at this moment in time it's the squad depth is, you know, probably the best I've had in my lifetime in terms of starting eleven and you know quality coming off the bench. But like you said, it, it's you know it's very brave, um, especially with Origi not seeing much game time over the last couple, you know, this last season. You know, sometimes players are rusty, it takes them a while to get into a game, and you know you're using a substitution up on someone who's got. 20 minutes, you know, 25 minutes, half an hour to make an impact in a game for which oh, that's probably the longest spell they've played in the Premier League this season. Um, you know, it, it is a, you know, was a bold move from them and it's paid off. And I think, you know, talking about Diaz, you know, that Everton defence and that Everton midfield, that were just two banks of four really in front of their own 18 yard box. If you've, you know, if you're playing, if you're rather Mason, um, Holgate, or your Michael Keane or Seamus Coleman, especially on that side of the pitch, you're about to track Mane all game, and you know you're absolutely knackered from you know, from chasing him. 
and then you bring Diaz on, you, you know, you're looking at each other, blowing, <laughs> blowing gas, and going, how, how on earth are we meant to keep up with this guy now? Because not only is he as good as Mane with the ball at his feet, he's lightning quick and he can change direction. And as we keep saying, it just adds Liverpool to a different level. It gives them a different dimension. And I think in terms of substitutions, even bringing Henderson on just for that game management for the last 10, 15 minutes, you know, it's a big thing. Um, I think that's where he's probably improved Klopp more, not, not just throwing people on to make an impact in terms of trying to get a goal. Is his actual game management now, I think, it's earlier on in the season, we sort of seen the likes of Joe Gomez come on and Liverpool go into a back five to try and see the game out. Or you, if Henderson's not playing, he's coming on for the final 20 minutes when Liverpool are winning to try and see the game out. Um, or if you know the game's not going Liverpool's way, he brings Henderson on to try and bit of stability and a bit of leadership on the pitch. And you know Liverpool are where they are because a of the players on the pitch, but you know what Klopp's thinking about in game. How many times have we seen it where Liverpool have been so poor first half, like they were yesterday? I don't think they were at the creative best. They were very frustrated. But as soon as that second half whistle's blown, the team that's a completely different team and they're ready to go again. And whatever he says at halftime or whatever he says to the substitutions coming on the pitch, it's it's, it's you know just goes to show where we are currently going after all four trophies. Yeah, absolutely. It was a very different game yesterday as well to what we've seen over the last few weeks. So it was very different. I think it took them a while to get into the mindset that it's a bit more, there's going to be a bit more patience, a bit more nuance needed. Whereas against Man United, you know, they gave us absolutely the freedom of Anfield and we know that how Man City are going to play and and, and things like that. Um, but there's going to be more games like this throughout the season, I imagine. Um, hopefully you're not, not too many because it's extremely nervy when you know you can't, you know, slip up because the title's basically gone with any anything other than a win. But, We'll come on to Villarreal in, in a little bit. They're, they're probably likely to play a similar kind of kind of way, but it's just when these games do come about, we've obviously got a much better depth now. We've got far better options to bring on to try and change the game if if the current eleven aren't aren't doing it. But we're just kind of going to have to get used to maybe grinding results out as the season comes to its conclusion. I think the further it goes on, the more nerves are going to start coming into the games if, if things don't start going our way. And, you know, you look at what Unai Emery's done at Villarreal, not just this season in the Champions League, but last season in the Europa League. They went to Arsenal, weren't fancied against Arsenal, win that. Went to the final against United, weren't fancied to win that. They go on and win that on penalties. They've knocked out Juventus. They've knocked out Bayern Munich in, in this season's Champions League. Um, so it is... You know, they are going to be a frustrating outfit. And I think just a key thing for Liverpool, for the, you know, they've got two games left in the Champions League, four games left, five games left in the league and, and the FA Cup is just not to lose the Reds. It's just to keep doing what they're doing because, you know, I expect Villarreal to play pretty much like Everton did on, on you know, yesterday. But I think Villarreal are going to have a lot more about them going forward. You know, they've got some really pacey players going forward. Um, I think Gerard Moreno might be out for tomorrow for Wednesday night's game, but I'm not 100% sure. But, you know, these these are veterans in the Spanish league and they look pretty solid, really, when they've played Bayern Munich, especially, you know, they've got Lewandowski and they've got um, Sane and Gnabry and Musiela and Muller. And, you know, it was Villarreal creating all the chances and having the better opportunities. And, yeah, I, I do think it, it could be a tricky one on Wednesday. When I say tricky, I mean Liverpool could come away with a 2-0 win. I'm expecting 2-0, 3-0. 
but I'm not expecting them to have it the wrong way. They're, you know, they're going to have to dig deep like they did yesterday, and they're going to need the crowd to get behind them, home and away, for the final few games of the season. Um, team selection-wise, then, for this Villarreal game, I think a few people on social media were thinking maybe we'd rotate a little bit in the derby, which we didn't really do, um, particularly given how physical Everton have been historically. I think a few people maybe were a bit worried about Tiago and Naby, understandably. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much as you were strength-wise. What are we expecting team selection for this clash against Villarreal? Um, I imagine we'll see Canate come in because he seems to have been doing all the Champions League and Cup kind of fixtures at the moment to kind of swap with Matip. Um, are you expecting any other changes, maybe in the front three or in the fullback positions? Um, I'm thinking Henderson comes in um, for either Thiago or Naby. Like you said, try and control the minutes. Um because I didn't realise, but Thiago's actually played quite a lot of uh, probably the biggest stretch of consistent games and minutes that he's had since he's come in at Liverpool. And, you know, it's, it'd be a shame if anything was to happen to him, you know, coming into this crucial part of the season. But probably expect Henderson to come in and then the front three, probably go Diaz, Mane and Salah would probably go that one because if they're going to play low, low blocks... As good as as and as clinical as Joss has been this season, you know we've both spoken about it. He is pretty wasteful with the ball at his feet, and I think in this game, best thing Liverpool can do is just get this tie done as early as they can, try and box it off because it's coming in between, you know, the Newcastle game, uh, obviously on Saturday, and then you know there's another game the week after that. So I think if I was Klopp, and I think. You know, a lot of Liverpool fans would be wanting this to be a 2-0, 3-0, try and get it done and dusted. Um, and that's, like you said, I think Canate will just walk straight back in. So it'd be the normal back four, but with Canate, um, Henderson, Fabinho, and then either Naby or Thiago, and then Diaz, Mane and Salah. Because even then, just thinking about it, that team is good enough to beat anyone 3 or 4-0 in Europe. That's just that's just how good this Liverpool team is. And then- You've mentioned it there after that next league game, Newcastle away. You know, Newcastle in great form, really, especially at St James's Park. I can see the best run they've been on out St James's Park since the days of Bobby Robson. Um, so going back quite a long, a long way, really. <laughs> They're probably one of the most important teams in the Premier League. They've gone from almost certain nailed on relegation. So I think they're in the top half um, as we as we record. So it's not going to be an easy one again. You'd obviously have Liverpool as the favourites given the form um, and given the, the squads but it, it, after a Champions League match on a Wednesday it's that half 12 Saturday Premier League kickoff, which Jurgen Klopp absolutely dis- detests uh, it's the one we tried to get the game moved I believe because of this reason it's not been the case could be a few tired legs at St James's Park and you know with the form they've been in with the new uh, Bruno Guimaraes and St Maximan could be a tricky one. Yeah, I think, I mean, how many times as Klopp and Pep and, you know, managers managing Champions League teams this season got to get the point across that having a lunchtime fixture after a European game just isn't isn't great. Um, it doesn't give you the best chance of winning. Like you said, it's, you know, they'll travel down on the Friday night, which only gives you Tuesday maybe Friday afternoon to train. Uh, you train then the day after a game, which 
obviously for Liverpool for all their injuries last season, you don't want to start going into that. You want to try and wrap everybody up in, in bubble wrap as much as you can. But like you say, with the likes of St. Maximin, he's going to be the main threat in terms of his pace. Um, I mean, I saw a clip of him at the weekend just doing 10 step overs with nobody around him. He's just one of those kind of players. He's a bit of a maverick. He will try and take six men on instead of pass the ball sideways. So, you know, he's obviously going to be the threat in behind. And it, it, it is just, you know, City are playing on Tuesday and then they've got an R5 kickoff on Saturday, which if, if, if coming into this part of a season, every team is looking for the smallest advantage that they can get. And, and, and it, is, it is an advantage for other fans. You might not think it's much, but you've only got to look at how Liverpool played against Watford. Um, after we played Benfica on the Wednesday night, and you know we rested quite a few players for that Benfica game. It wasn't Liverpool's strongest team. You know, Joe Gomez came in at right back, and even then the players that came in back in for the Saturday looked sluggish. They needed that first goal to go in. Watford looked like they you know were creating chances and they looked quite threatening, getting in behind a few times. Allison had to make one or two good saves. So. It's 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 not ideal. It's a big trip up to Newcastle, like you said. They're in form. I think the the uh, I think the if you look from Christmas time or from January onwards, they've got more points in the calendar year than Manchester City have so far, which just goes to show, you know how how many points they have got, and you know not just beating the teams below them. You know, they've beat Leicester. Um, you know they've beat Crystal Palace. You team were in the FA Cup semi-final last weekend so it is going to be a tough ask for Liverpool you know they're a big strong team at the back you know like Dan Burn and um, you know, Tiger's coming and done really well for them so I think if you were to ask me out of all of Liverpool's fixtures for the rest of the season which one am I most nervous about then, it, then it's this game on Saturday just because of just before you even get to it it smells of a disaster lunchtime kickoff on a Saturday Game on a Wednesday night, Newcastle in form. Yeah, it just doesn't feel right going into this one. Fingers crossed. What about you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying, but I was listening to Jamie Carragher talk about this yesterday, and he was kind of saying it's not good, you know, it's not ideal preparation, um, especially given the short turnaround and probably the intensity we're going to face against Villarreal, but. You probably would rather play Newcastle at a lunchtime kickoff than at a five thirty kickoff under the lights, just because I feel like that gets the fans up a lot more. St James's Park can be extremely, you know, atmospheric, can't it? We've seen it over the years. You know, got great fans up there, and an evening game under the floodlights almost seems to favour Newcastle more, even though it would have given Liverpool a few extra hours rest. So, yeah, it's one of those. I think we'll have enough quality on the day because we should have enough to be able to rotate and hopefully Firmino will be back in and around these two fixtures against Real and Newcastle well, so that's another extra body and we just need to be sensible with the team selection in, in both fixtures but fingers crossed that we, we get the win but we'll see um, but yeah that's it for, for this week James so thank you for, for your time no worries thanks for having us on again and we'll be back very soon for another edition of the pod Until then, you can get plenty more from us on anfieldcentral.co.uk and on our Twitter page at anfield underscore central. Thank you for listening and goodbye.